You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. Where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. Today we are chatting with Superintendent of Meridian Public Schools in Connecticut, Dr. Mark Benini. As a longtime resident and former mayor of Meridian, Mark is committed to bringing about positive change in the local schools. We'll let him share about what they've accomplished so far, but let me give you a little preview. Mark and Tom discuss the shift to student-centered learning, more voice and choice through personalized learning and experiences, extended learning time in several of their elementary schools, and the creation of a highly collaborative leadership climate and culture. Mark Benini, it's great to have you on the Getting Smart podcast. Thanks for having me on today. We are talking during the cyclone bomb uh, snowstorm. What is happening in Meriden? Uh, Meriden is loaded with snow. This is our uh, second school cancellation for students today. Uh, but, but our staff reported to the buildings today, and we're getting some work done, hopefully, here. Hey, you're, you're a small uh, urban center in Connecticut. Tell uh, people where you're located. Sure, we're in central Connecticut. We're about two hours from New York, two hours from Boston, smack between Hartford and New Haven. About 8,600 students, a very diverse population, 71% uh, free and reduced lunch students, and a very active student population, and I would say parents who believe in our public school system. Uh, Mark, you grew up in Meriden. How has the place changed since you uh, grew up there? I definitely think uh, we're more diverse, without question. We're also much more, uh, we embrace technology much more in the city of Meriden, but also in our school system. I think our learning is much more student-led. It's not uh, sit, in a, sit in an old desk and uh, listen to a lecture and then come and take a test on Friday. I think our approaches have changed. And I think really we're, we're letting our students be leaders and guide us in their learning process. But it, it is a more economically challenged population than when you were growing up there? Oh, without question. Our free and reduced lunch rate continues to climb a few percent every year. Our minority population continues to climb. But I still think we're a system that serves all students. So I think we have something special for our highest performing students as well. And we have something, uh, the way we're teaching and the way we're looking at learning has changed. And I think it really helps us individualize and personalize the experience. You know, my own children, uh, Bria's in sixth grade at Washington Middle School and Blake's in fifth grade at Thomas Hooker. You know, I never argue with them in the morning. They love going to school. They feel challenged. They feel supported. They have a good friend group. And I, I think we have teachers that care and aren't afraid to try new things. That's great. You've been uh, superintendent for seven years now, uh, sort of twice the national average. So it's a great tenure. Uh, as you look back, uh, what do you think you got right in your first year or two as a new superintendent? I think one of the things that I initially did that was essential was uh, to partner with our unions. We could spend each other's time arguing and disagreeing on issues, or we can really come together and say, what's good for kids? And if we can agree on that, then we can come up with solutions. So building those union partnerships from the start, I have central office cabinet meetings weekly. But I, once a month, I invite my union leaders and they come to those meetings and we have an open exchange and dialogue. And I think that's really helped us be more innovative and creative than some of our uh, surrounding districts. The other thing I think that I, I did well is you know, when I first took this job, I, I looked to my office to the left. I didn't have an assistant superintendent. I walked down a couple of flights of stairs and I didn't have a personnel director. But hiring the right people in those positions was critical. And for me, it was less about their experience 
And I think uh, the previous administration thought, well, here comes a young, new superintendent. Let's uh, make sure that we have some experienced folks in those positions. And my one would say demand when I took this position is that I would have full say in hiring those two uh, positions and that any interview process, because both interview protocols were working about at the same time that I would interview any finalists they had, but I needed to make those decisions. And and really what I wanted were people who were emotionally intelligent, people who believe technology could level the playing field for our students and also challenge in personalized learning for for our students. Um, And I think getting those two hires right was that was essential. And then I also quickly needed to decide what we're going to do with our curriculum arm and our technology arm, because I you know, as you know, they don't always see eye to eye. And we were spending too much time, you know, arguing about is this is the digital content part of our curriculum or not. So I put Barbara Hafner in that position and uh, she's been instrumental in our district's rise. When I visited two years ago, I, I noticed a collaborative relationship with your uh, employee groups. I also noticed that uh, you work closely with um, and collaboratively with other school districts in the region. You you held a a learning summit and and had lots of folks from uh, a half a dozen regional districts. What's your relationship like with uh, other? urban soups in Connecticut? Sure. I mean, I think it's essential if um, if I'm going to lead this district, I also have to know what's going on in the state to be involved. I serve as the co-chair of the Connecticut Association of Urban Superintendents, um, the secretary of uh, CAPS, our local superintendents group. So I, I say I'm heavily involved. Um, I also believe that for too long, education kind of operated in their own silos. And just as we're breaking down teacher classrooms here and opening up those classrooms to others' visits from their colleagues, from their peers, from teachers from other districts. I think we need to look at that approach as leaders as well. And I want to go see what another district's doing that's innovative and creative because quite honestly, I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I'm, I'm fine with stealing someone else's great idea and utilizing it here in Meredith. As you look back five or six years um, ago, what, what would you do differently? As a new superintendent, you know, you look back and and you say, boy, we got a lot done. But I think I think if there's one thing I could have done a better job is recognizing that not everyone can move at the same pace. And that sometimes, you know, you know, I make decisions quickly. and, And sometimes for me, I know why we're doing it. But I I wish I would have given folks a little bit more time to share their thoughts, because I think I would have uh got better buy-in at times if I did that. I think, you know, I'm a fast pace. I want to make the decision. I want to move on and I want to get to the next challenge, the next innovation, next obstacle. But I also have to realize that not everyone thinks that way. And sometimes if I slowed it down a bit, the implementation might've been smoother or the success of the implementation might've been better or the buy-in from staff might've been greater. Um, But I still struggle with that, quite honestly. Right. I think, uh, Mark, you and I grew up in a period where we learned sort of top-down hierarchical management and and the version of strategic planning uh, was a uh, whole systems change, five-year plans, um, focus on execution. And I think we're beginning to understand this whole systems change 
really does require uh, sort of fast lane, slow lane, and uh, understanding we're all going to the same place, but that we have to, if we if we want personalized learning for kids, we need personalized learning for adults. Without question. And I think and that's why it's so important that when you develop your team, that people are comfortable sharing. You know, Barbara, Mike, uh, Lou, they'd have no problem saying, hey, Mark, you got to slow this down a bit because in the end it will be more successful if you do. And, you know, we've... I think we've all bought into that learning should be personalized for students, but I'm proud of some of our efforts to personalize learning for our staff. You know, now we're not offering the same PD or training because we know just as our students are all at different levels, our staff are as well. So, you know, we may offer the same type of how to use the Google suite. Well, for some, they need a basic class, some need an intermediate class, and some are really in, in search of more advanced learning. And, and we have to tier our PD to support our just as we tier our instruction to support our students. And uh, I think Barbara and Sue Moore, who's our blended learning supervisor, have done a great job of, of really making sure that the professional learning experiences for our staff are meaningful. Meredith has been recognized nationally as a blended and personalized learning leader. How, how did you frame and manage that shift? I think it started with having a terrific board of education. You know, I say it over and over again, I, I wouldn't be in year eight if I didn't have a board that really trusted and believed in me and the work we're doing in this district. But more importantly, they put students first. So this isn't new to them when we say we want student-centered learning. Some of them have children in our school system. Some of them attended our school system. So I think it starts with having a terrific board of education who's willing to let you fail. Like not everything we launch is successful, but if we fail, we own it. If we don't keep doing it, we move on to try something else. So the board was instrumental in us launching uh, Bring Your Own Device guidelines. And many board members said, we want this K-12. Like, you really think elementary schools should uh, be able to bring their devices? And we said yes. And then we launched it. We surveyed uh, parents, staff, and students. And, and we take that feedback seriously. And we tweak, we revise, and we move forward. But we quickly saw that if we're going to provide an equitable education for all, even though many students had devices, we needed to, as a district, provide the devices. And fast forward now, uh, we're one-to-one -one at both high schools, one-to-one -one at our middle schools, one-to-one -one at John Barry Elementary School, which was recognized as a model school, really went through an amazing turnaround. Um, and we're one-to-one -one at grades four and five. So so we're heading in that direction, and I think it's it's making a difference. And for us, it's less about which device and more about connectivity. And it's also making sure that we provide high quality digital content and that we look at those digital content providers as true partners. Um, and then we're not afraid to share the data openly with everyone. Like this is going well, this isn't going well. What's our next uh, plan? The last thing I would say here is um, we also added Khajiit hotspots. So students can sign those out and bring them home. We're really big on making sure that uh, a student's means uh, don't prevent them from maximizing their educational opportunities in our school system. About two years ago, you really refocused on student-centered learning. What's the background on that initiative and how's it going? You know, it's going well. And I, I'd have to say part of the reason I think it's going well, and there's still work to do without question, but a major reason it's going well is because private foundations have taken the time and, and, to come see what we're doing, but also to invest in our school system. And 
I say this over and over again, it, a one-time investment doesn't allow me to do my work. A long-term investment, a five-year investment, a five to 10-year investment really allows you to see the initiative through fruition. And, and then over time, if it works, we're going to embed it into our, our core curriculum, into our core programming, into our core budget. But the Nellie May Education Foundation has been a huge partner, as well as the Dalio Foundation's Rise Network. And those two partners have provided significant private funding for us to add staff members that we would never be able to have um, just at a time when, you know, budgets are of major concern. So we have a blended learning supervisor. We have student-centered learning coaches. We have technology integration specialists. We have personalized learning experience coordinators. We have the best PD money can buy being provided to our district uh, by private foundation funding. And, And I think that's made a difference. What teachers want is they want their colleague to be able to work side by side with them and to be able to have those open exchanges. And if we break down those barriers, open up classrooms, and really, it's not a game of I got you or you're caught. It's really about like what's going well and what can we do to get things to go better. So I want people feeling comfortable in this district, not just my central office team, but every teacher in a classroom, taking a chance, taking a risk, trying something different. And quite honestly, if it works, then I want us sharing what works. But I also don't want us ever being afraid to admit that it was a bomb, that it failed. Let's drill down on student-centered learning just a bit. When you see a good example of that in your district, what what does it look like? What's the student learning experience like in a student-centered classroom or a student-centered assignment? We have a student-centered look for us that we provide to all of our staff members. And... You know, there are some of the core areas you look for. But in general, what I'm looking for when I go into a classroom is that it's not teacher directed. It's student led, that students are engaged, that students are wrestling with the work. I don't want quick, short answers. I want them wrestling. I want them challenging one another. I want them having open dialogue back and forth. I want to see teachers operating as a facilitator, not providing the answers, providing the probes and the questions to deepening the learning. So for us, it really comes down to we want to see student ownership over their learning. We want to see personalized learning. We want to see anytime, anywhere learning. And then we're heading into that mastery-based learning concept. And the look-fors are designed in a way for teacher look-fors and student look-fors. And it really just gives us a one-page planning document where we could go into a classroom at any time and check, was that occurring? Was that occurring? And really, when teachers plan lessons, we want them to refer to the look for us to make sure they're planning a more student-centered learning activity. New England schools, uh, with with a lot of help from uh, the Great Schools Partnership, have been leading the way on competency-based learning. Uh, we're, we're fans of great schools and uh, the way they've worked with legislatures and schools and universities. Uh, how are Meriden schools thinking about the the shift to competency-based learning? You know, I think at the the younger grades, the elementary level, I think we're much further along. I think it truly is about the learning there. I think at the secondary level, our teachers have been uh, wonderful. They've been participating in numerous professional development activities. They're creating performance indicators, scoring criteria. I think my only concern is we always get fall back into well, what does that mastery mean? How does it equate to a grade? How does it equate uh, to performance? How do we, you know, this competitive nature? And I, if all of us just competed to be the best we could be, rather than feeling the need to compete against each other, we might be able to get there better. 
Um, but I think in general, we're definitely flipping the switch where it's truly about the learning and less about the grade. But I can't tell you that the grade is still not a factor. It, it truly, it truly is. Um, but it aligns with our philosophy of, you know, for eight years now, I've said, we're not going to just give zeros and write kids off. We're not going to set limits on our students. We're not going to have classes that prevent students from taking higher level classes. We're not going to have five different levels where three of them do not prepare students for any success in their future. So we collapsed levels. We instituted no zero grading policies. And the competency work really is, is the end game of all the foundational elements we've laid over the last seven years. Competency-based learning is, in a lot of ways, a heavier lift than the, the shift to personalized learning. It it really does change everything about how we think about school, how we staff it, structure it, how we support learners. This is a long-term shift, right? With, without question. And I think the difference for us has been the competency base required us to think more about how we're engaging our parents, how we're engaging the community, how we're explaining what we're doing, how we're getting buy-in on those fronts. Uh, the student-centered learning personalized approach, I didn't feel the same pressure to to engage the parents. Of the community. I think they were generally supportive, but some of the pushback we get is coming from parents um, and a lot of it's based on the, the college level and what their requirements are. But as colleges are changing their entry requirements, as colleges are looking differently at what a successful student possesses, I think it will be easier for us. But we've spent more time engaging parents and community members as we move to this competency base. And it's not like we've ignored them as we are transitioning to student-centered learning environments. We do parent learning walks. We do community learning walks. We capture their voices. We share those through videos. So we've opened our doors to the parents, to the community to see what's really occurring in our schools. But for us to make this jump and to get to truly competency-based learning and grading, uh, we, need to, we need to do a little bit more work. Well, Mark, you've been a leader in, in a, the Success for All movement that's been core to your agenda uh, for the last seven years. And, and if that focus on equity grounds your work on competency, it, uh, it, this will be an easier shift for you than it will for other districts. I'm proud of the work our teachers are doing. Um, you know, Tom, I could not be more happy with their efforts and, and it's a heavy lift, but they're doing it well. And I think in general, the foundational elements that we put in place, the no zeros, the collapsing the levels, open access to advanced placement and early college experience classes, offering our middle school students an opportunity to take high school level classes while they're in middle school. I think all of those things have positioned us well. Um, and now it's taking those next steps. But I hope that, you know, and that we can end up being an exemplar for other districts. Because when I look around, there's not a lot of other places. You know, I said earlier, I love to go steal a good idea or to, to view what others are doing. And we, there's not a lot of other districts in Connecticut that are, there's, are further along in this work. So we have looked at other districts in New England that are a little bit further along. And we hope to t steal some of their ideas uh, as we move forward. But we're not going to give up. We're not going to let up because I think it's the right thing for our students. And I think it should always be about the learning. Let's uh, take a quick look at your strategic plan. Uh, as you think about 
inventing the future of learning in in Meriden. What what's on the on the roadmap for the next couple of years? Definitely the personalized pathways. Uh, we need students. We know that students do better when they have voice and choice in their learning. So we need to open up those pathways. Um, we also are looking at programs where students can leave either with certifications, whether they're, it's a certified nursing assistant program, so they can leave with an actual certification, whether that's lifeguarding and first aid. The more certifications that stu- our students can leave with, the better uh, poised they'll be for success in their future. The other thing we're looking heavily at is uh, making sure that we have uh, dual enrollment op- opportunities. The Middlesex at Platt program really provides a unique opportunity for our students to earn not only high school credits and college credits. The other thing is for us, it's all about more learning time, but looking differently at what that time looks like. So on these last two snow days, our students could be home doing work that will earn credit for them, um, even though they're not in our school building. So really looking at how do we increase learning time? And that could be Saturday enrichment academies. That could be through credit recovery online platforms, but it also could be uh, students uh, exploring their own interest and pathway areas outside of the school walls. Mark, as uh, you think about your experience as a public school superintendent, is it a job that you would encourage other people to consider? You know, I wake up every day uh, happy to go to work. So I would say to anyone, look, this is a passion. This is a calling for me. I love what I do. I love the people I work with. I like thinking about learning. I love Nothing is more rewarding than seeing a student experience success and the joy of learning. But but bigger than that, now I'm able to look back and reflect at students who truly have a better life because of the experiences they had in our school system. And and what what could be a better job than that? Anything uh, you would encourage people to do uh, to or to learn to uh, if they're interested in becoming a superintendent, what, what kinds of experiences do you think are most helpful? So I'd, I would say the real world experiences are super helpful. I mean, you learn in classes, no doubt. And uh, but I think actually being on the job, learning is is the most critical. You know, I had the fortune of uh, being mayor of the city of Meriden uh, for four terms and that experience of how to work with people and how to work with some people who uh, clearly had different views or visions, I think was most helpful. I think that helped me be a collaborative leader. I believe that as a leader, uh, if you're not allowing your employees to have dreams and you're setting limits on those, on your staff, then it's going to be difficult for them to open up dreams for their students. But I would say to anyone that the best thing to do, um, if you're interested in being a superintendent, is first, never let the budget deter you from doing the right work. So we're always going to have budget problems. There hasn't been a year I've been in this job that we haven't said we're having budget problems but don't let the budget define you or don't let the budget stop you from doing the right work for students. And too often, um, I feel that some folks do that. And to me, it's that gives us an opportunity to be more innovative and creative. Mark Benini, Meriden Public Schools, it's a treat to have you on the Getting Smart podcast. Oh, Tom, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the work you've done for, for educators and education in general. We appreciate your work and uh, we're going to keep Meriden on our uh, school districts worth visiting list. We'd encourage people to uh, to learn from all the great profiles that have been written about Meriden and uh, if they get a chance to go visit. Thank you, Tom, and we'd love to have any visitors. Just reach out. A big thank you to Mark for speaking with us today. 
Be sure to check out our Edweek feature on Mark, included in the show notes and the blog for this episode. If you haven't already, check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Caroline and Jess signing off.